Good morning. Welcome to Summit Week 2. All right, so I said last week that it takes about 17 and a half to 18 minutes to read through the whole book in one sitting. Raise your hand if you did that this week. Oh, praise the Lord. That's good. Who, who, if that was your first time to do that, how, how was it? Give me some feedback. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm glad nobody said terrible. Well, it's, it's, uh, as Bobby just uh, reminded me, um, this may be helpful for you. This, this is not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. So we're marching our way through Ephesians. And, you know, we understand that all of us uh, have busier weeks, less busy weeks. We have a lot of responsibilities, families, friendships, community groups, relationships, ministry, all kinds of stuff, right? And, and so I just want to remind you, you know, as we gather together each week and dive into the book of Ephesians, uh, just not, not to miss what the Lord has for you through his word. I don't know what he has for you, but I know he has something for you. He always speaks to us through his word by his spirit. And so I just, I just challenge you to uh, continue to lean in and press in and, and think and work, right? As Paul says to Timothy in, in his pastoral epistle, Timothy, think over these things. Give attention to them. Think hard. Labor over words and, and sentences because... Here's the promise, because the Lord will give you understanding. So as we do this, right, in this rich book, may the Lord give us understanding. And, uh, you know, as we do every week, we're going to uh, spend a little time in chapter one, and then we'll break up uh, into our small groups as we uh, dive deeper and then how it connects to our lives. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, and we will jump into Ephesians chapter one. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be able to come together again this week and give attention to your word. We, we pray, Lord, that as we, as we dive into chapter one, we, that you would open our eyes more and more to the, to the glory and the riches that is in this chapter. Help me, Lord, by your spirit. Fill me to do justice to, to the wonder, to, to the astounding nature of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ by your spirit. It's early in the morning, but we pray, Lord, as, as the psalmist prayed, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your word, that, that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain, that you would satisfy us this morning in your steadfast love, and that we would see that steadfast love most clearly and fully and beautifully in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us. Your word says that, that it is from you. All scripture is, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, competent, prepared for every good work. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that in us this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter one. Uh, we, we've, uh, you know, covered a little bit, uh, you know, if you've read, went back and read Acts 19 and 20, it gives you a little bit of background to Paul's time in Ephesus. Uh, the letter has, has been both internally and externally been received and understood that it's written by Paul to uh, the church or churches in Ephesus. There's some debate on that, but uh, 
whether it was a specific church or a circular letter to be passed around and, and read by many churches, either way, uh, it is given by Paul to the church. Right? So, so it was written to the Ephesians, right? And so by virtue of that and by extension of that, it's written for us right? who are in Christ, who are part of his church. So as we jump into chapter one, right, keep these things in mind. So as, as we think about Ephesians one, I mean, this is, you probably got Bobby's email uh, earlier this week, one long sentence, especially chapters uh, or verses uh, three through 14. For you grammarians, uh, it probably gave you a heart attack to think this is one long sentence. You're like, that's a run on. But, but what I think Paul is doing, right, is he's, he's in, in grammatical and literary ways, he's taking us up a mountain. And, and it's almost as if, you know, you get to the height and he, and, he, and he has still more for us and he takes us higher and he takes us higher and he takes us, and, 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 and in honor of our Bible study, right, you think you get to the summit and then you, you look beyond it and you see something even higher and greater, and Paul's trying to unpack who God is and the blessings that we have in him by virtue of who he is and what he's done for us. And so we should feel that as we read through. My wife and I are about to celebrate 24 years of marriage here in a couple of months. And if you, thank you, uh, by God's grace, um, if you know me, you don't have to be around me very, very, very long to, to know that I love my wife. She is such a gift to me. And when people ask what Cindy is like, I love to describe to them what, she, what she's like. She's boisterous. She's, she's loud. She's an extrovert. She, she loves a party. She loves to be the center of attention. And if you know my wife, you actually know that I just lied. She's nothing like that. She's an introvert, she's quiet, she hates being the center of attention. She, she's not a risk taker, she's not boisterous. Now if I wanted to show my love for my wife by throwing her a massive surprise birthday party where she was the center of attention and everyone just showered her with compliments and gifts and she would absolutely hate it. That would not be a great way to love my wife. Right? Why? Be because I didn't love her according to who she is and who I know her to be after getting to know her for the last 24 years. Right? And the same is true with God. Right? To love God, we must know God according to who he is. How do we know who he is? Because he's, he's graciously spoken to us and revealed to us who he is. And who this God is, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And we understand that knowing God increases our love for God. Knowing God increases our praise of God because we see more and more just how glorious he is. Now, some think that diving into the deep things of God, right? you can spend I've taught classes, semesters and semesters on the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Teaching, have a 14-week class prepared to teach on the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and the church has given attention to this for 2,000 years, and it gets really deep real fast. And some people think, you know, don't, those deep things, they'll stifle your love for God. They'll, they'll decrease your, 
your passion for evangelism. Just tell people about Jesus. You don't need to know about those deep things. But I want us to see this morning that this is the furthest thing from the truth. To love God, we must know him according to who he has revealed himself to be. The one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yes, it's mysterious, but it is profound. And this is actually the reason that we worship him because he is like no other God. He is the one and only true and living God who has worked for us and our salvation. So our passage this morning gloriously sets forth who this God is and what he's done for us and how we should respond. And I want us to see that the God who saves is worthy of our praise. The God who saves is worthy of our praise. I want to see this through kind of the first three points, but then we'll see how we respond to the fourth point. So the point number one is praise the Father from whom all blessings flow. Praise the Father from whom all blessings flow. Paul says in verses three and four, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Notice how he opens up. Paul opens with praise, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is blessed. And so we see that the the people whom God blesses, bless God. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, blessed be the men of Summit, who have blessed God in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Just as the men of Summit, just as we chose him before the foundation of the world. No, it does not say that. It does not say that he loved us because we were sons. It does not say that because we were holy and blameless, he loved us, he chose us. No, we know from later on in the letter and other, <laughs> other teachings of scripture that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were alienated, hostile in mind. We were by nature children of wrath. We were not born as children in Christ. By nature and by choice, we were sinners separated from God. We were under his just judgment because he is holy. He was not our father in Christ. But in grace, he, was, he has given us what we don't deserve. And that's why we praise him. Because in his grace, he has given us what we don't deserve. And Paul unpacks some of these blessings. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his children. Notice what Paul focuses on here. He does not focus on the logic of election, but on its lavishness. Yes, books have tried to solve the apparent problems of the doctrine of election and predestination. You can read, if you so want to, you can read thousands upon thousands of pages that have been written in the history of the church. If you want recommendations, I'm happy to give them to you. But if the fact that God chose you to be a son in Christ, if that doesn't lead you and me to praise him and worship him, then we've missed it. Then we don't truly understand 
what Paul means by the words that he chose us before the foundation of the world. God is not a God to be parsed, but a God to be praised. He is not a God to be debated. He's a God to be adored. So, so yes, we acknowledge there's mystery in that. How, did, how, how does that fit? God's sovereignty and our responsibility. and like we, those, are, those are worthwhile discussions. I'm all for Christians having charitable, underline charitable, discussions over important theological issues. But again, if the doctrine of election and predestination and the fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world, if it doesn't cause us to sing more wholeheartedly and worship him, then we're doing it wrong. One, One quote I love by Martin Luther, and he says, don't trust a theologian who doesn't sing. Don't trust a theo, and you just insert Christian. Because all of us, as Christians, by virtue of, of who God has called us to be, to know him, we are theologians. We are called to, to think about God and speak rightly of God and to proclaim God to the nations, to our neighbors. And Luther says, don't trust a Christian who doesn't sing. I love that. Again, because theology is not just for debate, it's for praise. It's for adoration. The more we know who God is, the more we want to sing the song of redemption and what he's done for us and what he can do for others if they turn from their sin and put their trust in Christ. Now, for what purpose does Paul say that God the Father has done this work so that we would go on and and live the same way? No, no. He says that we might be holy and blameless before him to the praise of his glorious grace. Men, do you want to be holy as God is holy? That's why he's called us. Holiness is not an option. God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we would be conformed into the image of his son, that we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another, as 2 Corinthians 3 says. Is there an area of your life that is not holy and blameless? Now, holy and blamelessness does not mean sinless, but it does mean a life that is not holding on to sin and is actively turning from it, putting it off, putting it to death, as Paul says in Romans 8, 13. And and the wonderful thing is God has not only called us to it, he's given us what we need to do it. He's given us his very spirit who indwells us so that he might empower and strengthen us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we'll see how that works out later in later chapters. Second thing that Paul tells us in these verses is that we ought to praise the Son through whom all blessings flow. Praise the Son through whom all blessings flow. I'll read verses five and following. It says that in love, he, God the Father, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, If you haven't done this, one thing I've found to be helpful is I've either underlined or circled every time that Paul says words like in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. And actually, if you do this through the New Testament, it is staggering 
How many times? Over 100 times in the New Testament does it use this kind of language of being in Christ, being with Christ. Ephesians is one of the the chief letters in which Paul does this the most. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, that is Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What I want us to see in these verses is that Paul can't talk about the Father without heading for the Son. He says that we are blessed in Christ, chosen in Christ, adopted through Christ, redeemed in Christ, and we have an inheritance in Christ. Just as salvation is from God the Father, so it is accomplished and mediated for us through God the Son. And how does the Son do this? He did it by assuming our humanity, right? God the Son, the Word who became flesh. He assumed our humanity. He lived the righteous life that we couldn't live. He he died the death for sin that we deserve to die. He didn't deserve to die as the righteous, obedient son. And he rose from the dead in victory over Satan and sin and death. And he did that for us and for our salvation so that we might be blessed in him, so that we might be adopted through him, so that we might be redeemed in him. In verse seven, Paul says that in him we have redemption through his blood. This is Exodus language. The the word redemption means something like being bought from and brought out of slavery. Being bought from and brought out of slavery by a payment. Think about the book of Exodus. In Exodus, God brought Israel out of the slavery in the Egyptians And he delivered them to the land of promise under Joshua's leadership. In Exodus, God brought Israel right out of their pitiful, terrible conditions into the land of his blessing. And how did he do this? Well, We see in the story that they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and God spared them from, God passed over them in judgment and delivered them as they made their journey to the promised land. And it's interesting to see from from the subsequent story in Exodus that as great as this deliverance was, and it was a incredible deliverance by mighty signs and wonders, parting the Red Sea, plagues. By the end of Exodus, we clearly see that that deliverance didn't solve their problem. Israel's fundamental problem was not the idolatrous nations around them, it was the idolatry within them. And we see that in chapters 32 to 34 of Exodus when they worship a golden calf. Because the Israelites didn't need a new address, they needed new hearts. And so do we. And that's exactly what God promised and that's what God has accomplished in the new covenant in Christ. 
Think about passages like Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 where he removes our hearts of stone and, and gives us hearts of flesh and he writes his law on our hearts, no longer written on tablets of stone. He writes his law on our hearts. He gives us his spirit. He cleanses us so that, we, so that we can walk in his statutes. This is a better redemption because in Christ, he delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the payment was the very blood of Christ. Galatians 4 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. The law was good. The problem was it exposed their sin and their inability to do it. And Christ came, who not to, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in our place so that he might redeem us from the curse of the law on account of our sin. And do you see this purpose here, both in Ephesians and in the passage I just read in Galatians? So that we might receive adoption as sons. That's amazing, right? Do you see that through the son, we become sons? The one who is son by nature makes us sons by grace. J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book, Knowing God, said that the doctrine of adoption is the greatest blessing. He even says above justification. Because we not only have a new legal standing before God, a new status, we have a new relationship. And that's an amazing blessing. Paul goes on in verse 11 to say that we have obtained an inheritance, sonship language, right? Do you know who gets an inheritance? Not orphans but sons, not orphans, but children. Why is this important? Because in Christ, we are not merely forgiven. Yes, forgiveness is an amazing blessing, but that's not the end of it. I mean, think about it. If you're an orphan and you owe a great debt and someone steps in and pays it off, that's, that's fine and all, but you still got two problems. You're still an orphan and you ain't got no money. And that's why Adoption is better because not only does God forgive our debt because Christ paid it for us, he also counts us righteous in Christ. We have a right standing before him and he adopts us as his sons so that we have the privilege as Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, to pray our father in heaven. Friends, don't take that blessing lightly. You can only call God your father because of what the son has done in your place and given you access by his death and resurrection to call him father. Those little words we so often just pray to get to the good stuff, right? Our father, do this, do that, do this. Stop and pause and reflect on the blessing it is to call God your father in Christ and what it took to do that. Third point that Paul tells us is to praise the spirit in whom all blessings flow. Look at me with verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? We enjoy these blessings that we've been talking about in the Spirit. 
Right? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is essentially connected, related to the Son. Jesus said in John 15, when the helper, when the spirit comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. Right? Jesus says, it's better that I go away because when I go away, I'm gonna send you another helper and he won't just be with you, he will be in you. He will indwell you. He will take up residence in your life. The one who is from the father and the son brings us into saving fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's an amazing blessing. And Paul says two things about the Holy Spirit. First, he says that after hearing the gospel and believing, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this is true of every Christian. Right? The living presence of the Spirit in our lives is the evidence of belonging to God. The living and active presence of the Spirit in our lives is the evidence of belonging to God. And, and the Spirit's presence and work in our lives is to advocate and comfort and help and intercede and fill and gift and guide and lead us to know God, to serve Him, and to glorify Him in Christ. All right, what a gift we've been given! In God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the deposit or down payment or guarantee of our future inheritance. What is that future inheritance? Well, read Revelation 21 and 22. It's the new heavens and new earth in which we will be in God's presence forever. No more grief, no more crying, no more pain. Jesus is gonna make all things new. That's the inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the guarantee that we will make it there. The point here is that God is so committed to you and to me. God is so committed to save us that he has put the necessary deposit down to ensure it, to guarantee its completion. That should, that should bring great hope and comfort and assurance as we persevere in the Christian life through suffering, through illness, through the loss of loved ones, the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift to comfort us, to help us, to advocate for us, to intercede for us as we make it to the end. And how should we respond? I think how we should respond is by looking to how Paul responds in verses 15 and 23. We should respond by praying to God from whom all blessings flow. That's the fourth point. How should we respond? Paul gives us application right now, right here. By praying to God from whom all blessings flow. Now this is convicting for me because I could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours reading books on the Trinity. That's just what I like, the personal interest, but it's, Say we spend hours and hours and hours and hours praying. It's, it's a fight. It doesn't come natural to me. But it's of incredible value, right? When it comes to prayer, they can often be rushed, centered on things that we want God to do for us. And, and these prayers aren't wrong, right? God is always honored when we come, with it, come to him with our needs, right? But we get a glimpse of Paul's priorities through his prayers. 
There's a great book called Spiritual Reformation or Paul, uh, Priorities in Paul's Prayers by D.A. Carson, and he goes through Paul's prayers and shows us what Paul prays for. It's a great book. This passage is one such prayer, right? It's a prayer that shows deep concerns for Christians to what? To see and to delight in and to know their God. And he prays three quick things. Well, quick for us. First, Paul prays that, that we would know the hope to which we've been called. That we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power according to the powerful working of the resurrected Christ. Those are three wonderful things to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. For your wife, for your children, for your coworkers. That they would know God in these glorious ways. The hope their inheritance, the power that's theirs according to the powerful working of the resurrected Christ. I mean, think about this. Why Paul wrote Ephesians while imprisoned in Rome, which was at the time the most powerful empire in the world. But for Paul, there was, they didn't even compare to Christ's power of God raising him from the dead. Paul shows his readers and he shows us that despite the momentary appearances of Roman power or for us, for our day, any other worldly power, they're of no comparison to Christ's power. It is Christ that's seated above all earthly powers. Caesar is not sitting on heaven's throne. No current president or past president is sitting on heaven's throne. No world leader is sitting on heaven's throne. Christ is seated on heaven's throne. And he's seated because the work is finished. And there's no rival power. And the blessing for us, right, is that we get to walk in this power when we're tempted to sin. We don't have to give in. Why? Because we've been raised with Christ. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul prays that we would know this and that we might pray for others to know it too. So, so as we transition from here to our small groups, a great thing to do in your small groups would be to pray these prayers for one another. Pray these prayers for believers in your life that they would know this. They would delight in God and pray for others. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would uh, be with us as we break up into our groups, that you would be glorified, that Christ would be exalted, that we would give thanks for who you are and what you've done for us, that we might pray for others, that they might know you. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.